Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octanon Verba, we hear part two of my interview with Angie Manson, CEO of Elevated Addiction Services and health and fitness expert. In part one, Angie discussed the problem with traditional addiction services and why rehabilitation should be focused on empowerment and accountability. We also explore taking responsibility for what creates addiction in the first place, how CrossFit empowers addicts to find new methods of dealing with addiction, and the difference between rehabilitating the body and rehabilitating the mind. You can hear part one on episode 73 of Octanon Verba. And now, please enjoy part two of my interview with the amazing Angie Manson. The world is crazy, even if you're sober. So I can't imagine trying to function in society, you know, halfway aware of what's going on around me. There's a person that walked out in front of me today that was on their, looking at their phone. I almost hit them. And I imagine that person's moderately sober. They probably had caffeine in their body, but it's like, I can't even imagine it under the, the dulling of other things. Right. Well, and that's the other thing we do is we take away all their electronics and their phones. They don't have them through their whole program. So it's almost like they're detoxing from that as well. And at first you see the like anxiety of not being able to check their messages or get on Facebook or all those things who might be calling me. And then you almost see like a relief of not having to be responsible for that little thing and just get that complete separation from it. It's amazing. I mean, everybody should do that at some point or another, because then you realize how addicted to our phones and our social media and everything else we really are and have become. Well, and those addictions feed off of each other, right? If you're already addicted to something, you have the anxiety going, that makes you want to take whatever this is to dull that. But because you're addicted to the social media, it makes you, you have FOMO, you want to figure out what's going on. Right. And then it just becomes this unending cycle. And again, the person that is the casualty, if you're not You're not using social media. Social media is using you. So you have to be really aware of that so that you're not getting caught up in it. I love that you come through with the the mindset. I know that you talk about that a lot with what you're doing there. Can you give me an idea of what your mindset is like? Is there a philosophy behind which you kind of base what you do and then what you guys do at Elevate? What would it look like? Well, let's see. Like my mindset is, and we have our core values, is do the right thing. And for me, I've always operated that way. Uh, you know, since I've been sober, or since I've been in recovery, I not not prior, but because <laughs> I realized that when you do something for an ulterior motive, or you don't do the right thing, or you try to short circuit it, you're just hurting yourself and others around you. So, like one of our core values is do the right thing. It's not always the most comfortable thing. It's not always the most rewarding, but it is your integrity, and that's important. And for me, your integrity is everything. And so I will, that's how I live my life is do what I say I'm going to do. Don't hurt others in the process. Look at the greatest good for everybody and every single thing, even if it's not the best for me personally, going to benefit me the most, what's going to benefit everybody that's on my team and the clients and the world the most. And I try to operate that way. And of course, you know, me operating from up here, we kind of bring that down the line and hope everybody 
in turn goes out and operates in that same manner as well. The other thing is, I don't know if people talk about this, but as a female CEO, as a female leader, let's be real, there's going to be their own obstacles built within that as well. But having that mentality, having that resilience, having that structure, having that discipline, you don't have to go above. I mean, you're still above and beyond as a leader, but instead of trying to convince people, hey, I'm a leader, you're just doing it. You're just there with them. So it's, as Jocko says, it's not about you, but it's on you. But by doing that, that allows everybody, again, you wouldn't have employees that have been there as long as they had, unless they believed in you, unless they believed in the process. And you were even telling me that some of those employees have said, you know, you saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. And those are the good days. And, you know, we hear it a lot. And, and a part, a lot of that is also hardworking and fun. Being, I think a lot of people equate getting sober into being a very somber, serious, this isn't fun, but at least I'm sober kind of thing. And we're here to say, Hey, no, it doesn't have to be like that. Like you can actually have fun being sober. In fact, you're going to have more fun and you're going to remember it. And so a big part of, and our program is a long day. It's from like nine in the morning till nine at night in there, there's tours and there's the gym and, and there's some socializing, but there's a lot of work that happens in between because we're trying to train people that when you work hard, you feel good and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing and a proactive thing and a fun thing. And we don't have to take it so seriously. So we actually employ positive psychology and a lot of what we do too, looking at the glass half full, you know, looking at the silver lining, but doing it in the present. And so just learning how to be positive and have fun, even though you're sober. And that's what we do with our staff. Like we're out there having fun all the time and the clients see that and they're like, this is, this is something funny and often comes up at graduation is they're like, when I first got here and I saw everybody so happy, I was like, what is wrong with all these people? Why are they all so happy? Like, what are they on? Because coming from the environments they're coming from, that's not, it's not a happy environment. People aren't like, you know, running around unless they're drunk and they're at a bar and doing dumb stuff. But typically, they're not coming from that kind of environment where that's the culture and everybody is working together and as a team and getting positive results from doing so. What do you think the biggest misconception about rehab is? Most rehabs are my rehab. I guess the rehabilitation process, most rehabs compared to what you guys do. It seems like there's a misconception that this is a lifelong disease. Like you have to be battling this your entire life. You'll never overcome it. You are labeled this. You are an addict, even though you've been sober for 20 years, you are this person for the rest of your life. That sucks because if you've done all the work and you're being productive individual in society and you haven't used or drank in 10 years, why are we still calling ourselves an addict? Why are we pushing ourselves down with this label instead of empowering individuals saying, hey, that was your past. That's who you were. That's not who you are anymore. So why do you got to look in that mirror every single day and call yourself an addict? Like, imagine this. Imagine if you were unhealthy, you put on some unhealthy weight, you haven't been working out, you've been eating some bad food, you haven't left your house. Okay. You've put on some weight. You've gotten a little fat. So you decide, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to fix it. You get on a diet program. You get on an exercise program. You're out there taking care of yourself. You're taking daily pictures. You're like seeing the results and you're like, dang, I just lost a hundred bucks. But you still have to look in that mirror and say, no, Angie, you're fat. You're fat. You're fat. Every single day, you have to call yourself fat at group level. What is that going to do to you? Are you ever going to overcome this thing? Or are you going to be the label of this the rest of your life? 
yeah, you're literally building in a cognitive bias that sets you up to fail. Because once you believe that, we'll do anything to make ourselves believe what we think is true to be the same. Absolutely. And then you give yourself always an out. It's like, sorry, just an addict, you know? Of course I relapse. It's part of recovery. That's another, another good one. It's like, it doesn't have to be. Nobody says it has to be. And then that affects every decision that you make from there on out, right? The type of relationships that you're in, whether it be a person that's available or not, type of jobs you take or, or can't keep, frankly, if that's the case. And then the life expectancy, not even the life expectancy goes down, but the quality of that life expectancy goes down immensely. Yeah. And you just have like a built-in self-sabotage right there. Whenever you need or want to use it, it's like, why should I do better? This is who I am. So when the people... They come in, they've kind of, they've got clean and now they're at this place where they're doing the work and they feel that they're making some progress. You and I both know there's always going to be sticking points. What would be something that you, could you give me an example of how you help the people stick, get past that? Because we understand like today, I, I didn't really feel like going out and do what I had to do before I came in, but I got through it because I knew that if I'm trying to help other people or lead, I can't just expect other people to do it unless I'm willing to do it as well. How can you help people kind of get to those sticking points? So we have all kinds of methods. You know, you're required to show up on time. You're required to do chores. You're required to do these things. If you decide, I don't want to do that, we have you meet with a different office or your one-on-one counselor. Well, let's talk about that. Why don't you want to do that? Why do you not think the rules apply to you? Do you not see why we have rules so that we all live together in this society working towards a common goal? And when somebody decides they don't want to live by those goals, it makes it not good for everybody else. And so, so much of it is just learn, relearning life and having somebody to talk to you about it one-on-one and get you to understand, because maybe you weren't seeing that, get you to understand why this is a pro-survival thing and then how to continue forward. Yeah, you had a bad day. Okay. We all have bad days. I get that. Take a walk, take a break, and then let's hit it hard tomorrow. And so we really just use communication and counseling because a lot of other rehabs, you step out of line. It's like, okay, come on. Bye. You didn't, you didn't show up. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. You can leave. And when you decide you want to you know, do the right thing, you can come back. And for us that like letting you go is the last gradient in working with you to get you to get through your program and do what you need to do for yourself. It's just like everything else. It's much better and sticks when you earn it, as opposed to just kind of giving up halfway through or this perception of, I don't want to deal with this. When you have no other choice, the choice is simple. It's like, well, shit, I got to do this. I'm already here. And a lot of that for us is allying the families to be on board because a lot of times people are in this situation due to families enabling them. It's out of love. It's not, you know, families don't want their loved one to be addicted, but they also don't want to see them on the street. They don't want to see them in jail. They don't want worse things to happen. So they'll intervene so that these consequences don't occur. And so it's really important for us to align the families from the beginning about they're going to go through hard times. They're going to want you to rescue them. They're going to want you to do this. And you have to stay strong as a family so that they get through this process and you guys rebuild your relationship and your trust and things change. So a lot of it is also just educating the people around them, how to best support them and be tough if needed and know that that's the right thing to do. Especially if you've grown up in a home where there was not a whole lot of either discipline, attention, love, being seen and heard, all those things. And I love how you put that all together because even some of the best executive coaches in the world, they'll write these books. And basically every book, if you look at it down at the the very bottom line, is just basically don't be a dick, 
communicate, listen, and be willing to hear this person and what they're really trying to say, say what you really need to say. So you're helping those relationships in the process. But again, when you help that person see that all the roads lead back to them, whether it be success or failure, whether it be addiction or recovery, it has to be on them. Nobody can do the work for them. They have to be willing to to do that. But once they take that step and once they start feeling that sense of independence and they start believing, right? That's why, like you were talking about having that, you keep your word, you know, that integrity. Because once you have that, that's an emotion that you don't ever want to lose. You don't want to go to bed at night thinking, you know what? I said I was going to do this and I just didn't. I understand that things happen, but if that becomes the rule more than the exception, then the rest of your life is just going to be this sort of unraveling, looking from one pacification to the next, whether it be social media, alcohol, drugs, whatever. Yeah, or seeking approval from others. You know, that's a big thing. A lot of people, you take away the drugs and the alcohol. Well, guess what's the first thing they want to fill that void with is attention and relationships and us really saying, whoa, 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 forget it. You don't need that. You got to find that love first in yourself. That way you're worthy of the love that you're seeking. And that's hard for people because they're not used to that void. They just need to to fill this feeling of goodness. And that's an easy way to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. If it's if it's not the toxicity from the drink or from the, the drug, it's the toxicity from a relationship. 100%. Yep. I could talk to you for hours. Is there a book that you would recommend for people? I mean, I know that there's books specifically in recovery, but are there books that you've read recently about mindset, about resilience that you feel would be good for anyone, whether they're in rehab or not? Gosh, there's so many. I've read so many over the years. My God. Extreme Ownership by Taco Willing. You know, that one, this is a guy who's was in war and his solution to everything is to take accountability and responsibility. And this is super applicable to those of us who have used drugs. You know, if he could find accountability and responsibility for decisions that he made in, a, in that type of environment, we can find accountability and responsibility in our daily decisions. And just because you made the wrong decision doesn't mean you're a bad person. Like, it's okay. Just own it. Like, if you have a relapse, if you did something you said you were going to do, but you didn't end up doing it, just own it. Like, you don't have to carry that with you. And I think what happens, especially with addiction, is you just carry this guilt and shame with you. And it can so easily be alleviated if you just take responsibility like, hey, man, I screwed up. I mean, I do this with my staff. I don't sit at the top and say, I do nothing wrong. If if I do something, I'll be like, guys, you know, this one I'm not really good at. I realize that I'm doing work on it, but let's let's continue to move forward because then people see you as like human and, oh, you make mistakes and, and they get it. And so that extreme ownership is by far, like, I think the best book you could read. I love. David Goggins can't hurt me. Again, coming from the addiction field, you know, he had horrific stuff done to him as he was growing up. He had tremendous hurdles he had to overcome and his mindset and where he got to is phenomenal. And it wasn't given to him. There was nothing given to him. He earned every single bit of it. And he is funny. He's funny to watch. I love watching his social media. He's always out there doing push-ups while he's like, you know, preaching and it's just hilarious. I mean, he goes way harder than I ever could, but even that his mentality, go hard, like stay hard. I think that's, that's a good one. And then of course your book's pretty phenomenal too, because it's uh, overcoming all adversity, right? You know, and it's like, that's what makes us amazing human beings is what we're able to overcome. Well, thank you for that. I, I don't think I'm in the same league as those guys by any stretch of the imagination, but 
I love that you talked about that with the leadership because when you fall down and you own it, you're showing them one, you know that you're not perfect, you're human. Two, you're giving them permission to fall down in an attempt to be better for the company, for your mission. Because if all they see is you being perfect and you're not doing the work and they see you walking in and there's no dirt on you, they're going to be like, well, she's squeaky clean. Therefore, I have to act squeaky clean. And if I'm trying to do something different or work harder, I'm not going to be squeaky clean. I'm going to look like I've actually tried to put in some work. So I don't want to do that. And now you unintentionally make your staff hold back. You unintentionally don't give them permission to come to you and say, hey, Ange, I had this idea about this. It's like, well, she's already got everything figured out. She's already perfect. She doesn't need you trying to come in and say, hey, we were thinking about doing this to, to help the community or do this during the next graduation or doing this for the next you know, company rally or whatever it is that we're doing. Exactly. Because a lot of times it's the secret that kills us or does us in. It's not the actual act itself. It's the act of not talking about it. And we do ourselves in over that. And that's why it's so important. And I tried to raise my kids this way. Like, listen, whatever you do, I might not love it, but I would rather you come talk to me about it. And then we can work through it. There still may be some consequences. There still will be, you know, a, a talking about it. But I'd rather you were just completely honest with me because I know that it's that secret of doing it that's going to do you in more than the actual act itself. And so we really try to preach with honesty because I do believe that to be the truth. A hundred percent being truthful is the truth. <laughs> that is. And we had to pull that thorn out because like you said, if it's a something that we carry with us, like you said, it has compounding interest, it gets heavier, it's impossible to bear over time. And then what do we do? We start looking for other ways to sort of deal with that, that issue and that pain. And I know that you can't tell me like specifics, but can you tell me about a story of a person that came through that really made an impact on you that came through your, your program? And I, I know that you have probably hundreds, if not thousands, but can you remember the first one that really hit you when you saw it? First one. Wow. I, again, there's been so many and everybody is so unique and different, but I'll give you one. It's not my first one, but she works for me. She's actually one of my favorite people, but her name is Caitlin. She works in my detox area and she came through the program and she has, she has some degenerative diseases like in her arms and her legs and she was born with it. And she started using very young. She went down a very hard path because she was kind of like destined by the doctors. Like this will probably end up killing you one day. So why bother more or less? And so she, she went hard. And by the time she came to us, she'd been through about eight different rehabs, nine different rehabs, all with that same mentality of, you know, re relapse is part of recovery. What's the point? You're always going to be an addict. Here you are as a human being. Look at, of course you should, you, you know, no wonder you are this way because look at your handicaps. Like it's totally okay. And it didn't get her better. It got her worse and worse and worse. And so by the time she came to us, we were the first program that was saying, yeah, okay, we see you. We, that does suck, but you can still get better and you don't have to be defined by that. And I remember the first time I saw her, it was in the CrossFit gym and we were doing CrossFit partner workout. We do once a month with clients and staff pairing up together. And I saw her in there working harder than anybody else in the room. She had to modify her movements. She couldn't do exactly what everybody else was doing, but she was doing more. And I looked at her and I see this big guy over in the corner. And he's like, I, I got this like old like shoulder thing. And I'm like, dude, really? 
look at this girl over here. You don't have to use your shoulder. Like, do some squats. Like, come on. And it, she just set the standard for me of like, listen, if she can overcome this, she can be responsible for this. She can overcome her addiction. Anybody can, because God was giving her a reason to say that it was okay to be on drugs. And she loved that. We were saying, no, that's not okay. And now she's on the front line. She's handling people coming in the door. And believe me, it's real hard for a client to look her in the face and saying, I can't do this. She's like, really? I think you can. <laughs> And so she leads by example. And I use her as my example because she's phenomenal. And I, and I love everything about her and what she's been able to achieve. I think that every human being is better when they're grappling with some sort of adversity. I think that that's what forces us to level up, to get better. And like you said, even though you're the leader up here and you've been through so much, you can find all kinds of inspiration, all kinds of demonstrations of the ethos by which you guys live, the core values. And that's the beauty of of true leadership. If you're leading correctly, even on the days when we don't feel like doing it, if we've done it correctly, the people around us will carry the baton. They'll give us momentum. They'll push forward. And now, even if they don't see it, they can become the inspiration that pushes us to continue going forward. And they're not even aware of it. It's so seamless because it's just kind of baked into the very existence that you have, not only as a leader, but as a human, as a warrior. And I love that. Absolutely. And and that's our big thing. It's like, yeah, the past sucks. So let's leave it there. Let's not talk about it every day. Let's not go over these war stories about how I used to be and what I did. It's like, who fucking cares? That's the past. Let's live in the present. Let's move forward. Let's set the bar high. Let's push ourselves hard. Let's move forward from this addiction. It doesn't have to define your life or who you are. You can create who you are now. And I can't tell you how many families that have told us and written us letters saying, I wish I could just do your program because there's so much in your program that will help any human being on earth. And it's like, true, true. Wouldn't it be great to just spend 67 days of just soul searching in a fun community environment where we're all going through the same thing together? Like, that's a blessing. Yeah, that's an incredible journey. And just like you said about the past, we see people that hold on to the past as a way to hold them back, whether it be addiction or whether it be the guy that's like, you know, when I was in high school, I was the, you know, quarterback, blah, 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 blah. And they're just trying to live their glory years. And now they're 40 years old and fat, drinking a beer, watching TV, and they're, they're not taking any sort of accountability. And in the military, in what we do, it's the same thing. It's like, I don't care what you did yesterday, whether it be good or bad, whether you did a TEDx yesterday, what have you done today? More importantly, what are you going to do today to push you to be better, not just tomorrow, next year, next quarter? over the next 10 years. And if we don't start looking like that with the victim mentality, we always replay it. And then it always ends back right now. And that's how I got to here. It's like, what are you going to do next? And then when you hit them with that, they're kind of, well, I just told you, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard all that. I don't care about that. I care about how much can you own this now and how can we move forward? And then when you start doing that, that mentally makes them take that step. And I know that your program is making them take steps that or leaps and bounds, probably what they even thought was possible, even when they were sober before they got addicted. Oh, 100%. And, and that's another thing I like to say, like the definition of rehab is bringing you back to a prior state, but we're not doing that. We're bringing you back to possibly the best state you've ever been in or never been in. So it's going beyond just rehabilitating the individual. It's setting them up for success in life because we don't consider success just being sober. 
we consider success like being sober and kicking ass in life at the same time, not just being a bystander or watching, like you're proactively doing amazing things. And that's success. I love that. You were saying that it, it does no good to be sober if you're a miserable asshole the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And making everyone around you miserable in the process. It's like, I got it, dude. Okay. You're sober, but you're miserable. <laughs> it's like, well, it doesn't have to end there. It shouldn't end there. That sucks for everybody. That's even sobriety a bad name. It's like, man, I loved Angie before, but now that she's sober, it's like, oh, I can't stand her. Exactly. Nobody's going to want you around. You're not going to have any friends, except for that group of friends that all come together and commiserate and talk about their war stories. And, you know, I remember the first time I went, I'm looking around, I'm like, dude, I didn't do half that stuff, man. I've barely just begun. This is not the place for me. Look at these guys. They got some history. So it does interesting things to you, um, the meetings. And and I'm very pro AANA. I don't want people to get the opinion that I'm not. I just know that it doesn't always work for everybody. And that's why we're here because there should be many means to get to the end. And some are good for others, some aren't. And we're just another means of getting there. Well, the people that are listening to this right now are very much self-actualizing. Like Again, if you're telling me that I have to wait for something outside of me to give me permission or grant me this ability, I'm not going to believe that or I'm going to walk away from it. So taking that responsibility, owning it, doing the Bruce Lee thing, absorbing what is useful, discarding what is useless, and then adding what is specifically our own from our experiences, you guys are giving them the path to not only take back their lives, but take back the lives of those around them because they're communicating with the family. They're affecting everybody around them. And if they can take that kind of responsibility, the gravity that that produces is tremendous. Yeah, it's it's just not a fear-driven mentality where like you're afraid to go out into the environment because, you know, it could trigger me. If I don't go to a meeting, I'm going to use or if we don't we don't empower our people to live in fear. We empower them to go take control of life. And I like what you said about, you know, the people around you because I know in in addiction you can believe that you're only hurting yourself. That's what we tell ourselves so that it minimizes, you know, the damage that we're doing. But we force people to, one of the very first things they do within like three weeks of being here is reestablish trust. And that process means you call up your family and you say, hey, um, so we're doing this process. And by the way, remember how you uh, were missing that jewelry and I swore to you it wasn't me and it was the maid and I got you to believe it was the maid. Yeah, it was me. We force them to take accountability and responsibility because that's what rebuilds the trust. Look, the family always knew, like the loved ones know what they see. They can be convinced that maybe it wasn't what they were seeing, but addicts and alcoholics are very good at at turning the table. So part of rebuilding that trust and saying, hey, I really want to be held more accountable and I want to do the right thing is owning up to it. And then the families go, wow, I dang that. Thank you. Because I thought I was crazy. And this affirms to me that I'm not, but it also sets up that little thing in the future. So if they try that again, they're going to know, Hey, look what, look at, remember what they did last time? Be, be alert. If you start seeing or hearing the same things. Angie, I can't thank you enough. I know you're so busy. You've got so much going on. You're traveling. You just got done being interviewed by Kathy Ireland, Montel Williams, all these big people. So thank you for taking the time to be on this, this program. Can you tell our listeners more about how they can get in touch with you, with what you guys are doing, social media, websites, phone numbers, whatever it is? Yeah, the website is elevaterehab.org. My podcast is The Elevate Experience. And we talk about recovery and we talk about people overcoming adversity and we talk about our program and we talk with our staff. We've, we've had it over a year, but it, it hopefully provides a lot of content if somebody just wants content. 
And then I'm reachable and on Instagram, Angie, it's not the at sign, it's period, A-T, period, elevate. Angie at elevate, because they won't let me do an at sign. So you can DM me there. Uh, I'm always available. I am so used to running and working a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week job that I'm, I'm always available and I'll at least get you the help that you need or the right person to talk to. And everyone, like I said, they have this down to a science. They have every system, every protocol established. If you need help, this is the place to go. If you know somebody that needs help, if you know somebody that knows somebody that needs help, direct them to the social media, direct them to her interviews, to this, and this will give you more about what they're doing. She is a warrior in this this battle. And frankly, a lot of people need to, to know more about what she does. So thank you so much for being here, Angie. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You are awesome. You're more awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba inner circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.